Welcome to the Equippers International Podcast. This is our short version where we are studying through the book of Hebrews. And in this episode, we are in chapter 12. I'm going to read from verses 14 through 17. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up causing trouble and by it may be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. This is a section of scripture where the writer of Hebrews is going to start encouraging the readers with a list of imperatives. He's actually giving them, in the original language, commands, verbs that have a strong emphasis in them of something that the reader should really pay attention to do. First, he says, to pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So it's kind of a two-pronged command. He says, first, pursue peace with all men. Probably it's a reference to the fact that there's a lot of discord in the church at the time of the writing of the letter. The whole context of the book, as we've talked about over and over and in interpreting it, is the growing tension between the Jewish believers and the Jewish non-believers, those that have not come to Christ and are trying to rally a zealot army to fight against the Romans. And so there's, there's conflict within the church. And so it's probably a direct reference to trying to be at peace and demonstrating the heart of the Lord toward these antagonistic people. Could be a reference to just general peace with everyone. There's a couple of times that Paul refers to pursuing peace and he seems to specify that that peace is within the body of Christ. So the first place to start, obviously, for believers is to be at peace with one another and to kind of move out from that context into being at peace with the world. We know that people in the world can be quite antagonistic if we truly live our faith out loud, so to speak. Not that we become obnoxious, but that we just choose to walk in peace with those that don't see things the way we see them. And then the other side of the exhortation in verse 14 is to pursue sanctification. And he says, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, I believe what the writer is trying to communicate in this part of the command is that there would be a very real intentionality in the hearts of believers to really desire to live in a godly way, in a way that manifests the character of God, the sanctification, the holiness. Paul tells us elsewhere, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Here, the writer of Hebrews says, pursue literally holiness. That's what the word sanctification means. In the Greek, it's hagios. It means the holy ones, the saints, the sanctified ones. Now, we know from a positional objective standpoint, the word of Christ has sanctified us. That's what the writer of Hebrews has already told us. He says, by the work of Christ, we have been sanctified through the offering of his body once and for all. 
Then he goes on to say, and later in chapter 10, for by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. So the sanctification work of the Lord is something that Jesus has accomplished. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31 there that God has put us in Christ who has become for us sanctification, righteousness, and redemption. So there is this very real sense that Christ is our sanctification, but practically we pursue that position by working it out in our lives in a practical way so that our lives actually become a expression of God's holiness. And he says that if we're not pursuing sanctification and we're not growing along these lines, then he makes this reference to not seeing the Lord. Now, I believe this is more of an eschatological reference or an end time reference, at least the end of our life reference. I don't believe he's talking about seeing the Lord on a daily basis in our lives. I think he's saying that if we don't show throughout our lives that we're growing in this process of becoming more like Christ, then it's probably proof positive that we don't belong to the Lord in the first place. So there's really no gray area for the New Testament writers. You either are or you aren't. And he's saying that if we don't pursue the process of actually practically manifesting the work that God has done in us to be a witness for him to his grace in our lives, then we probably are not going to see the Lord on the other side, so to speak. And he goes on to say in verse 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. So it's a grace experience that he's encouraging the believers to enter into. It's only by the grace of God that we can share in his holiness. You know, the grace of God is the process of God sharing his life with us. And that happens through the gospel. It happens through what Christ has done to give us this incredible gift. So we receive the grace of God and we allow the work of God to do in us what the grace of God is empowered to do. And so that's a positional and an intentional process that Christians are to walk in. So in contrast to that, not allowing a root of bitterness to spring up, causing trouble by which many are defiled. Now, he's probably not referring to a person just being bitter toward another person. That might be a reference in this situation. But probably what he's talking about is this whole attitude that was springing up in the Jewish believers that they were so disturbed by the events going on around them and the future was looking more and more bleak. They were bitter about being a Christian because they were receiving so much opposition and they began to question, what the heck is all this about? I mean, if the Christian life is not any better than this, then why would we ever want to be in it in the first place? So he's saying, don't allow that root of bitterness to spring up. You know, I think on a practical application level, what he's saying is that life can be so challenging sometimes that we actually turn our judgment of the difficulty of life onto God. And we say, 
you know, what good is it? If life is this hard, then what is the point? And so he's encouraging the Christians not to do that. Don't let this bitter attitude spring up in you because it causes trouble for your life and it defiles other people. So he's saying, be strong in the grace of God and stand in your faith and trust him in every situation. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, don't let any immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright be among you. What is he talking about? He's talking about living according to the flesh in my estimation. He's saying Esau was immature. Now there's no reference in Esau's story that he was sexually immoral and that he was some type of person that was involved in ungodly behavior. The point is, in his immorality and his godlessness, is that he chose in his flesh to sell his actual birthright for a meal because of fleshly indulgence, because he was hungry, he was short-sighted, he was immature, and he sold the very thing that was the most precious thing to him. And even after he did it, when he desired to inherit that blessing, he was not able to find it. It says that there was no place for repentance. Now, this is a difficult passage, and the writer of Hebrews has said it before earlier in chapter 6. He's saying for those who have tasted of the promise and have partaken of the Holy Spirit and the gifts, that if they fall away, he says, if they choose to walk away, then there is no restoring them to repentance again. Now, I'm a firm believer in what's called the security of the believer. I believe that if you have a true born-again experience with God, then I believe you don't lose that. But you know, there is this element, there is this aspect. It's kind of what I call this two-sided coin. On one side, there is total security for those that just continue on with the Lord. I believe that. But on the other side, there seems to be this intonation in Scripture that if we walk away, if we renounce the Lord, then it's not a very positive place to be in. And the prognosis of that does not sound very positive according to Scripture. You know, I heard a guy say one time, is it possible to lose our salvation? And his answer was, well, I don't believe you can lose it, but I believe you can loose it. Now, it's a little play on words, obviously, but what's he saying? I don't think that a believer can just wake up one day and have lost their salvation like losing their car keys. But what can happen is that we can choose through the volitional choice to loose our salvation, to walk away from the Lord and say, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I'm rather going to choose this other way. I'm going to choose a way of the flesh. I'm going to choose a way of doing what I want to do, and I'm not going to receive God's grace. I don't understand all the outworking of that in the heart of God, but I just believe it's not a positive place to put ourselves in. So what is the writer saying? He's saying, don't be that way. Be like a faithful believer. Be like Christ. Be faithful to the very end. Choose to trust God. Don't let the pressures, don't let the discouragement, don't let those things bring bitterness in our hearts and become hard-hearted and make decisions against the work of the Lord in our lives. So these are strong encouragements. They are obviously 
pointed toward a people that are in a very unique situation. But nonetheless, I believe they can apply to our lives in our situations as well. And we can heed these exhortations to be at peace, to pursue holiness, to receive the grace of the Lord and don't become embittered and make poor decisions. So be strong and courageous and love Jesus more.